Friends, our sermon lesson this morning is from the book of Romans. We're going to read that lesson at the end of our sermon this morning. I'd like to start out our sermon today by showing you a picture and telling you about this building. This building is located in Cordoba, Spain, and it is called the Mas Cathedral. It's known around the world as that, by that name. And if you're wondering to yourself, that seems kind of confusing. Well, you're absolutely right. Because a mosque is the worship place for those who are followers of Islam, for Muslims. It's the place they go for prayer and worship. Cathedrals are the most holy place for Christians, people who follow Christ, to go and have their prayer and their praise and their worship. So what on earth is a place that is called both? Well, this building actually has some really interesting history. It was first built in the year 600 by a group of monks to be a Christian cathedral. And it remained just that for about 200 years. In the year 800, uh, the Moors took over Cordoba, Spain, and it was converted into a mosque. And over the next 400 years, it was greatly expanded to be just that, a mosque. But then again, in the year 1200, the city of Cordoba was again retaken by Christians, and it was again turned into a cathedral. This time, the nave, or the main building that you see in the middle, was resurrected in Renaissance-style architecture, and it remains a Christian cathedral to this day. Despite somewhat of a tumultuous past, this building is visited by thousands and thousands of people a year, because of its sheer beauty, because of the unique blend of Muslim and Christian art and architecture. And yet, for all of the grandeur, for all of the greatness that is the Mosque Cathedral, did you know one of the most fascinating things about this building is actually one of the smallest things in the building? The story goes like this. In the years where Cordoba was under the rule of Muslims, there was a Christian young man who fell in love with a Muslim young lady. And because of his testimony, because of him sharing the gospel with her, she converted to Christianity, something that was illegal, something that was punishable by death. On the night of her baptism, on the night where she joined the Christian church in Cordoba, city officials found out where the baptism was taking place, and they took this young lady captive and quite tragically executed her immediately. The young man they took to the mosque, and they chained him around one of the columns, one of the poles that you see there, and he spent the night there. He spent the night, as many of you can imagine, in anguish about what just occurred and about what his fate would be. But at some point during the night, he took his fingernail and he etched in the column a cross. Sadly, the next morning when city officials came to get him, they saw what he did and they executed him as well. Today, that cross that he etched with his fingernail is still standing there, and it reads above it, it says, this is the cross of Jesus Christ, etched by a captive with his fingernail. No one knows very much at all about this young couple. 
No one knows what happened to them before their lives leading up to this moment. No one really knows also what happened to them in the, in the time past that. But one thing is clear, the young man who made what is now known as the captive's cross has impacted countless, countless people by literally making his mark. And that idea is something that I'd like all of us to think about and talk about this morning. You making your mark. You leaving your legacy in this world to the people who come after you. You, yes, even you young people, thinking about what you are going to do to leave your mark on this world, what you're going to do to impact the people around you. Because ultimately, that's what leaving your mark is all about. It's all about impacting your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your community. Over the past month, we have been in a sermon series called Next Gen, where we've talked about raising the next generation to love, serve, know, and follow Jesus. And while we've talked about that and building a relationship with the next gen and building a relationship, their relationship with Christ, we've also took some time to maybe poke a little fun at the next generation, at millennials and iGen, the generation that follows them. We've wondered when millennials are going to move out of their parents' basement or when iGen or Generation Y is going to put down their devices long enough to have some real, actual FaceTime with the people around them. But for all of the joking that we've had about the next gen, did you know they're actually one of the more futuristic-minded generations that we have alive with us today? Right now, this generation, Generation iGen or Generation Y and millennials make up just about a third of the workforce. But as soon as 2025, so in just six years, those two generations, the next gen, they're going to make up 75% of the workforce. And what does that mean? Well, take a listen to this. The, a recent survey found that that generation... 90% of them want to use their talents and their gifts to have an impact on those around them. In fact, 50% of people who responded to this survey said that they would take a lower paying job if it meant that they could make a more meaningful mark on society. More than any other generation that's alive right now, we can make as many jokes as we want, but this is a generation that's serious about making their mark, making their mark on their friends, their family, and their loved ones. Can you really blame them? I mean, we might think it's kind of cute and it's kind of nice that young people are idealistic and they want to use their gifts to change the world and make a mark on society, but step back for a moment and think about it. Parents of the young people who are going to be confirmed today, aunts and uncles, grandparents, friends. Haven't we all thought about the legacy that we're going to leave during our time on this earth? I don't think it's a stretch to say that almost all of us have taken time to think about how we are going to leave this world, how we are specifically going to leave those whom we know in this life. What mark are we going to make on them? And thankfully, that's what our sermon lesson this morning 
is really all about. Our sermon lesson comes from a letter, a letter written to a group of people, a group of Christians or people at least interested in Christianity who lived in Rome. And the book of Romans is at its heart and center, really a question all about making your mark, a question to its core about impact. How are you going to impact those around you? If you read through this letter, you're going to read the Apostle Paul writing to a group of Christians whom he has not met yet. Essentially what it is, is a pastor writing to the next generation of believers. It's a pastor writing a letter to, if you will, his confirmation class. And as you read it, you sense Paul's urgency. You sense Paul's passion about making his mark on these people. And here's why. Paul hasn't met them yet. Paul wants to meet them and Paul has been trying to meet them for some time. But because of persecution in the church, Paul hasn't been able to. And the clock's ticking. Paul knows he's getting older. Paul knows travel west is going to be harder for him. He knows he might be arrested and he doesn't know if he's going to meet them ever again. And so when he starts his letter to them, you can feel that passion. And just in the short section that we're going to read today, you can sense that urgency. We're going to start reading at chapter 1, verse 11, where Paul says this. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul understood where making your mark starts. It starts in the place where all of us have a need. Where all of us have a need to be encouraged, to be affirmed by one another. And with Christians, it's not just getting together to encourage one another, to give the old pep talk to one another, to give another a pat on the back and give it your best try, but to get together with one another around God's word so that sharing the gospel with one another, well, we might be mutually encouraged in one another's faith. And you know this, adults, those of you who are not the next gen well, this generation is going to need that encouragement more and more as they grow up. Throughout our sermon series called Next Gen, we basically stole from Jesus' sermon series all about the next gen. It comes from Matthew chapter 18. I want to encourage you to read that chapter and see how this entire chapter, this entire section, Jesus is talking about loving little ones, reaching out to the next generation. And in that sermon, he gives a little illustration, an illustration so that we understand the heart of God. In it, he said this, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep, that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Over the past month, we've talked about how what Jesus would do, what Jesus would think if just one, just one of the next gen were to wander away. But we also stepped back and we looked at the fact that it's not just one. Statistically today, it's not one out of 99 young people that wander off. It's more like 33 out of 100 that wander off. Right now in our country, 
Statistics are that those between the age of 18 or 24, one out of three do not have any religious affiliation. That means they don't go to church. They don't pray to God. They don't believe in God. They don't have any relationship with any God or any church at all. And so the question for us is now what? It's not just one that's wandered off. It's 33 out of 100 that wandered off. And what are we going to do about it? What we've talked about for the past month is the heart of God, our God, who with recklessness would leave 99 sheep on the hill just to go look for one. So what are we going to do to look for all of those, all of those who are lost and may not even know it? And ultimately, that's what Paul is getting at. Paul is talking about that. The thing that we can do to go after the other ones is get together to mutually encourage one another so our faiths might be strengthened. Elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul said this. He said, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with the seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Listen, do you want to know how you can make a greater impact on someone than this world can ever influence anyone? It's simply this. Speak to them the message of the gospel the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And do you know what happens when you do that? When you speak the good news of Jesus to me and I speak the good news of Jesus to you, you make your mark. You make his mark and you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? I highlighted just four words that I don't want us to forget. Being marked with Christ means that you have the promised Holy Spirit. You are promised to have the Holy Spirit who is going to strengthen you as you find your way through this life to eternal life with Christ. You have an inheritance, a guarantee of an inheritance that is something far greater than anything you will inherit in this life. It is eternal life with your Father in heaven. You have redemption. You have the experience of being bought back as a slave to sin and being set free. Being set free so you can live a life of freedom, live a life of hope, live a life of joy that cannot be taken by anyone or anything. And most of all, you have a name. You have a name that is God's special possession. You are his and he is yours. And there is nothing in the world that anyone can do, nothing in the world that you can do to change that. He is your God and you are his own dear child. All that is yours when you make your mark on someone. And listen, if you're here today, all of that is yours because someone took the time to make their mark make their mark of faith on you. If you haven't thought about this for four, just slow down for a second and think about this. Who is it in your life, other than God, other than Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that is ultimately responsible for you knowing Jesus, for knowing his love? Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend. But now I want you to do this. Think about this. Who's responsible for making the mark of faith on that person? 
And if you could go back even further still, who is responsible for influencing that person who influenced you? And keep going back if you could. If you could go back generations and if you could go back years, think about who it is that first made the mark of faith in their lives on someone who influenced someone who ultimately influenced you. If you keep going back far enough, ultimately you might meet somebody who left their livelihoods and left their homes and left their countries just so they could preserve the name of Jesus. Go back further still, you may, have met, you may meet somebody who depending on where they lived and the time they lived might have given their life for that. And if you could keep going back even further still, this is interesting to think about, but each of us, each of us could draw a line of Christian faith back to the founders of the Christian faith. One dude named Jesus and a couple of his 12 friends. And you think about that for a second. Why did they encourage the way they encouraged? How is it that they were able to make their mark in the way that they did? Well, it's because they knew that one with nail-marked hands had a message of love that ultimately would mark us as his own dear child. They knew that the message of Jesus, the one who lived precisely so he could die for you, bore marks for you so that you might forever be marked in him. Listen, if you want to make your mark on this world, if you want to have exceedingly powerful influence on the people that you love and an influence for a positive, loving way, forget about making your mark. And for a second, think about this. Make his mark. Make his mark. Ultimately, that's what changes hearts. That's what changes lives. That's what marks you and seals you with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing the inheritance that you have with your Father in heaven forever. You have an obligation to that. The Apostle Paul wraps up our section by saying this. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul reminds us that you are obligated. That's not, a, that's not a word we use very often. Most often we say like, oh, I have a responsibility or something like that. But I like that word, obligated. You are obligated. You owe it to the next generation to make your mark on them. You owe it to them to love them to show them Jesus, to give them Jesus, to tell him about his love. And when you do that, my friends, that is something powerful. Because the message of the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Listen, the man in Cordoba, Spain, he made his mark on this world by doing something simple. He made a rather small cross and yet his witness, his testimony about his faith in Jesus Christ forever made a mark on countless people throughout the world. I don't know what your future looks like. Only God does. I don't know what schools you are going to go to. I don't know what jobs you're going to have. 
I don't know where you are going to live when you grow up, what relationships that you will be in. I don't know how any of you will ultimately make your mark on this world, but here's what I do know. For 2,000 years, the Christian church, Christian people, have been making their mark on the world because they have the everlasting word of God. They have something that will endure forever and ever and ever. And because of that, that means that the church will be here. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ will be here for the next generation and the next and the next. And if God allows it, the next and the next and the next. Cathedrals will fall, but one thing that will not fail and will not fall is faith. Faith that is built on the mutual encouragement of one another, the encouragement that is centered around the gospel, that shares the name of Jesus Christ, that builds one another up and makes our mark, makes his mark on the world. Christian friends, Christian parents, and especially you, confirmands today, may God bless you and may God go with you as you make his mark on the world. Amen. Amen.